This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Isaiah 61. Yes, I heard a couple. Yes. As you guys know, Isaiah 60 is a big chapter for us. For those that don't know Isaiah 60, I'll reference it real quickly for you. It says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. We believe that as a church. That's part of the call. That's what brought us here to Utah, the desire to arise and shine. But if you guys know Isaiah 60, and and you probably do because you've heard me talk about it a lot in the last year or so, you'll know that that's conditional, meaning it's up to you to make the decision on whether or not you're going to arise. So I believe the calling of God on this church is to help people arise, it's to come alive in, it's to respond to the glory of the Lord. The Bible says that when we rise up, when we arise and shine, the glory of the Lord will be risen upon us, will be seen upon us. And we believe that as a church. We believe that as we help people arise and shine, right? We see that in Matthew. Jesus calls his church to be salt and light, to be a city on a hill. But it's up to us to make that choice, amen? It's up to us to respond to that call. The promise is when we respond to the call to arise and shine, we're going to see his glory. I don't know about you guys, but that's what I'm living for. I'm living to see the glory of God revealed in this valley. For many of you, and and some of you like Lori, who've been here, how many years now, Lori? No, I mean here in Utah. Right, how many years is that? 60-something and some change. Years. There are many that have been here contending and praying and believing God for a movement of his glory like never before. And we believe that. We believe that we're the, the ones that are answering that call. We believe that people have been praying and that God sent us to answer that prayer. And not just us, but all of you and all of you that have come, many of you from outside of Utah. There's a reason why you're here. It's not just because you love to ski. It's not just because you're good at business or it's not just because you think it's a cool place to live. I mean, it's all of those things, right? But it's because I believe God has destined this moment for you and for me to step into this calling, to arise and shine and to see the glory of God risen upon us. You know, it's interesting if you go on, I know I haven't got to Isaiah 61 yet. That's a classic preacher move, like set you up and then talk for 20 minutes about something else. But if you get into verse 2 through 5, it kind of lays out the call. It says, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you. See, there's there's that promise again. But the Lord, but the Lord, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. I believe that God has called this place to be a beacon of hope and light to the nations. And I believe that we're going to see kings and and people of authority and influence drawn to the light that is shined throughout this valley. goes on to say, verse 4, Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. I believe that we're living in a time where we're seeing spiritual orphans find homes. And a big part of our heart as a church is to help the disconnected become connected. Those that don't belong find a place to belong a place where they can become spiritual sons and daughters of the Most High God. 
Bible says that he gives us power to become his children. Those that are the children of God are those that have been given power. So we didn't just sign up for this gig because we thought it was a good idea. No, we've been endued with power. The minute you say yes to Jesus, you have been endued with power from on high. We believe the calling is to arise and to shine, but we don't do so in our own strength. We don't do so in our own valor. We don't do so in our own intellect or our own ability. We do so under the influence and power of his spirit. It says, then lift up your eyes all around and see. They gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant and your heart will thrill and and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. They shall bring gold and frankincense and bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you and they shall come come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. See, we know from a New Testament perspective, we are the house of God. And I just, it's interesting, you know, as we've come into this season that the Lord has brought us into, we have heard the Lord say things like he's going to beautify his house. He's going to beautify his people. He's going to glorify his name. And we're going to see the effects of that around us. Part of that is a prophetic promise. It's an invitation to stand in a place where you don't yet see that reality occurring. Some of you have been here for a long time. I know this, when Candace and I responded to the call to come, we did so on the shoulders of other people that came before. People like my father-in-law, Jim Shadler, and my, my mother-in-law, Wita. People that, that were appointed by God, not just called, but actually sent to come here and to plow and to get into the field. And for those of you that have been here for a while, you know that Utah is a spiritually dry place. You know, it's a hard atmosphere uh, it, is a, it is a rocky soil <laughs> in some places, unless you live in Sandy, then it's made of sand. <laughs> but spiritually speaking, it, it's a tough place. It's a tough terrain because there are obstacles and strongholds and things that have come against and that have been set and solidified down into the soil and into the, the, the fabric of people's lives, if you will. And a part of what a planter does is he comes in and he clears the field. And that means removing rocks and thistles and weeds. I don't know about you guys, but I've been fighting weeds. Things that just continue to just keep popping up. And when I first moved into my house, my grass looked amazing. And I was like, gosh, this is awesome. And then a couple months later, all these weeds started popping up. And I was like, oh, well, that's not good. And it's easy sometimes to judge things based on the surface of them. And it's taken a lot of effort to, f- to fight and combat that in the natural, but even more so, I think, in the spiritual. And so a planter comes in and he, he, he plants, but he, before he plants, he has to, or she has to, tend to the field. And the field is rocky and it's full of thorns and thistles and all these things I've said. But it's also full of predators, wolves and giants and other things that have taken up residence within the place that God's called you. And so that in and of itself becomes sometimes your entire ministry is just dealing with the stuff in the land. (laughs) And we're fortunate that we benefit from the work of people like my parents-in-law, my rents, uh, that have come in and that have given their life and have sowed. And many have sowed in, in blood, many have sowed in tears, many have sowed in hard work, and they've never seen the harvest and see, the, the truth is this, guys, we never know where we are in that spectrum of things. 
God may have you here in this church for a season, and you may be a part of, of, of those that are helping us plow the field. But you also might be part of those that get to sow into it as well. You might also get to be a part of those that get to water the seeds that have already been sown. I feel like that's kind of what we get to do in some ways. And then, of course, there's those that get to reap the harvest. And we, we love that part, right? We all want to be in that camp. Let's bring on the blessing, bring on the harvest, bring on the good stuff. But we never know where we are in, in that mix with people that God has called us to minister to, or particularly in a place that he's called us to plant. And so we believe that we're in a season of harvest. We believe that we're in a season of planting. We believe we're in a season of watering. We're in the season of seeing growth. But all those things happen cyclically and in seasons, and they're always happening at different times and moments within the same spiritual realm, if you will. Does that make sense? So somebody like myself and Candace can come into a place like Salt Lake City and benefit from the work that's been done. But at the same time, there's things that we still have to tend to. There's obstacles and, and new, new influences that have moved into this city that we have to wrestle with. And we don't do so in our own flesh, and our own effort. We do so in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And we're singing songs like, no weapon formed against us will prosper. We believe that. So part of the call is to respond to the prophetic promise that we haven't yet seen take place, which means we're in this tension. And your life is in a tension between who God has called you to be and who you are right now. He goes on to say this, verse 12, for the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid to waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine to beautify the place of my sanctuary. Once again, God wants to beautify his house. He wants to beautify his people. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. And I just really believe this. I believe that we're going to see God make the place of his feet glorious. And he's going to do it through all of you. Isaiah 61. Now we've come to where I want to kind of get to tonight. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because this is the, the very first text that we see Jesus read from. The moment that he comes through his season of wilderness, he's been out fasting 40 days, 40 nights. He's been tested. He's been tried. He's been tortured. I'm sure he's been tormented. And yet he perseveres because of the word of God. And the Bible says that he comes out of that time and he comes into the synagogue and he opens up the scroll. And here's what Jesus says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, to give them the oil of gladness instead of mourning, to give them the garment of praise instead of a faint or weak spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. 
Verse 4, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Pause right there and look up. I believe the same spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, the, the Ruach Kadosh, as we talked about last week, was on Jesus when he proclaimed these words. And I believe that same spirit now lives within and abides within me and within you and within every person that calls upon the name of Jesus. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. The word anoint means chosen, means set apart. It means to be smeared with oil. The anointing of God, the anointing of Jesus, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is now upon us. We looked at this a few weeks back and it's upon you. And here's why it's upon me and why it's upon you. It's to bring good news to the poor. When I look out and I see this valley, I know we got a lot of poor people among us. We were here yesterday giving out food. We had multiple people come by. It took a little while. At first, I was a little discouraged. I was like, all right, come on. Where are all the people at? But one by one, God started to bring people. And it was interesting. We had, Jonathan, we had a homeless guy show up. And he was picking and choosing what he wanted. Was he? We tried to give him Gatorade. He's like, no, I don't want any of that. He needed it. He looked like he could use some hydration. But he was picking and choosing what he wanted. And you know what? Praise God. He left with like a handful of stuff. After you left, we had another homeless guy come. And he walked off with a box of stuff. And we went up and down this row and just started feeding employees of all these businesses. And it was amazing. And I walked into the Honda building and I said, hey, we got free food. It's good. It's not expired, and we want to give it away. Any of your employees hungry, need some food, want some help? Amazing. Like four or five people stood up. We're like, yeah. Right? And we, and we did that at all the hotels. And people came out of the hotels, and it was just amazing. And it wasn't what I intended or maybe what I thought in my mind. I pictured, you know, a row of cars just driving in. And we come out all elegant and put together. We're here to help you. Right? That's what it looked like on the graphic, right? It, it's not always going to look the way that we want it to. Tonight's a perfect example of that. Tonight doesn't look the way that I thought or wanted to. But it's amazing when you sing songs like Have Your Way. Because you're going to be presented with the opportunity to really honor that and to let God have his way, or you can get on with the script. And tonight, wasn't, it wasn't my, my intention to, uh, to leave the script or, or what I thought God had prepared for us, but obviously he had something else in mind, and I'm thankful. And so I'll say this, when we set out to feed the poor and to bring good news to the poor, it's not going to look the way that we always think it is. I know within this text that the poor aren't just those that are materially without, it also means those that are spiritually without. And when Jesus says that I have been anointed, the spirit of God is upon me because Jesus submitted himself, right? He emptied himself of his divinity, the Bible says, and he made himself a man. So he submitted himself, humbly came, humbly served, emptied himself of all of the rights that he had, all the privileges that he had. And he, he allowed the Holy Spirit to come upon his life so that he could proclaim good news to the poor. And I believe that's what this house is going to do. 
And I believe that's one of our number one priorities is to bring good news. The word good news is gospel. It's to bring the true gospel to people all throughout this valley and beyond that have been deceived. And you know many of them. Some of them are your friends and neighbors and coworkers and family members. But God has called us to bring good news, which means that we're going to be a people of good news. It's actually one of our core values as a church to be a people rooted in the gospel. To be a people of good news means that you're going to be committed sometimes to bringing in a word in season that isn't always popular, that isn't always understood, that isn't always respected, but that will be good because it's his it's God's gospel. It's his news. It's not our news. It's not us showing up saying, look at us. Look what we can do. We're here to solve your problems. Come join our club. Come on. We're not AARP. We're not, I don't know, fill in the blank. We're, we are the church of the living God. We are the house of God. We are the people of God. We are the bride of Christ. We are the redeemed. We are the ones that God has commissioned and sent to this state, to this city, to this valley. And we've been commissioned and sent to bring good news. He goes on. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. You guys know any brokenhearted people? See, in this next season, the reason why if I can take one step backwards, the reason why we're doing this, and I keep pointing here as if they're graphics here, the reason why we're doing this series, It Is Well, is because it's really hard for you, if you're broken, to help bind up other brokenhearted people. Now, let me, let me, let me add a little nuance to this, if I can, a little caveat, a little disclaimer. God has called us to be a house for the broken, but not a broken house. God has called us to be a place for the broken, but not a broken place. And I believe that in this next season, 2021, 22, whatever it looks like, I believe that God wants his people strong. He wants us whole. It doesn't mean perfect, guys. It doesn't mean you're not going to make any more mistakes. It doesn't mean that you're just now this superhuman person that walks around on a cloud. Come on. For those of you that have been walking with the Lord now, you know that ain't the case. If that were God's intent for you, he would have just taken you to heaven the moment you got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. But as it turns out, there's a job for us. And here it is to bring good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted, to be a place for broken people so that we can mend, to bind up actually means to like sew up together. It's to like address the wounds. It's, it's not a bad word to bind. It's actually a good word. It's to bring up together. It's like when you have a broken arm, you need the doctor to come bind it with a cast, right? Or to set it into a little wrap. That's kind of the picture here. It's to bind up the brokenhearted. That's what we're after. We have to be. Because that's what we're going to experience, and that's what we are experiencing. But we can't give what we don't have. And if you're still a broken place, and you're still a mess, and you're still walking around defeated, God's not going to be able to use you to do this. Because all of the energy is going to be spent on you. 
That's why I believe the Lord wanted us to kick off this year with this series because he wants us to be whole. He wants things to go well with our souls. He wants us to be in health and to prosper. And he gives us a role in that. He goes on, to proclaim the liberty to the captives. God has called this place to be a place of freedom. He's called us to bring freedom and liberty to people that are in captivity. Here's the thing I know about captive people. They don't always know that they're captive. People that are enslaved don't always know they're enslaved. Isn't it interesting that we live in a culture now that esteems do whatever you want? They have taken liberty and they've said, this is our God and we're going to do whatever we want. But we know that true liberty and true freedom is not the ability just to do whatever you want, right? It's actually the ability to restrain yourself and to do what is good, to do what is necessary. And I believe that in this time we're in, God is going to call us to be a people that proclaim freedom and liberty to the captives. Of course, we're anointed by the Holy Spirit, and where the Spirit is, there is liberty. And, he goes on, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. It's kind of the same thought. I don't know why my browser just took over and started showing me uh, Wayfair ads, but <laughs> that's what you get. <coughs> that's what you <coughs> That's what you get for <coughs> using the internet for your Bible. <laughs> to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, it'd be easy to, to read this and to think that our job is going to be to just come in with force and to just kick doors down and just bust people out. But I think there's another way that the Lord wants us to go about this. And we actually see it in the life of Paul. And Silas, you guys remember the story? They're in prison. They've been put in prison, not because they wanted to be in jail. How many know going to jail is not very fun for those of you that have been? I've been to pray for those that are in jail, and I'm telling you, I didn't want to be in jail. I was like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't want to stay here any longer than I have to. Yeah, some of you did. Some of you worked in jails. Some of you guys have a little bit of a shady past. Some of you spent some time in jail. Hey, Praise God that the Lord has set you free. But here's what I see in Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were preaching the word. They were preaching the gospel. They were doing this, bringing good news to the poor, setting captives free. And they were put in prison. They were put into a place that they didn't want to go. But the Bible says that they were praising God. And in the midnight hour, while they were praising, the prison began to shake and the ground began to rumble. And what happened? The doors opened up. Which tells me that there is power in our praise. There is power when we come into a place and begin to proclaim the goodness of God, begin to proclaim the grace and mercy of the Lord, begin to proclaim the good news of God, and we begin to praise and worship. I believe that our worship has power to break open the doors that are keeping people in prison, that are keeping people captive. And here's why. It's interesting if you, and I don't remember the exact reference or I'd have you guys put it up, but it's interesting that it says that, that Paul and Silas's doors opened up, but it said so did all the other captives' doors. 
So your praise and your worship has the ability to actually open up the doors for others. This is why we're seeing, I believe, in our day, the opportunity for worship to emerge like never before. For those of you that, that follow Sean Foyt and you know his journey and his ministry, some of you are seeing this happen in places like Austin, Texas, and Los Angeles, and Portland, and Chicago, and Seattle, and by the grace of God, Salt Lake City. But listen, God's not waiting for Sean to roll up with his caravan and his 18-wheeler. He's got us here. And, and you guys have been placed here for this reason, to allow your praise to be more than what we just do in the three-song to four-song format on Sunday night. It's to, allow the, it's, allow, it's to allow people to hear and experience your praise. Sometimes I'm accused of, of singing in weird places. My family tell me this. I'll be at the store and I'll just be like kind of worshiping. Like, da-da-da-da-da. To our God we lift up one voice. And I get a lot of looks sometimes. But I've been doing this so long now that I don't even really think about it. I don't really even notice. I do it on planes. I do it in, in the gym with my headphones in. Oh, you should see people's looks when I'm on the treadmill just rocking out for Jesus. <laughs> but it's amazing that God has given us as a weapon of our warfare praise so that we can walk into an atmosphere into our job, come on, wherever that is, your salon, your pharmacy, wherever God's placed you, in people's houses, working on their lawns. I mean, I know some of your stories and there's enough of us here where I could probably stop and talk about each and every one of your vocations, but I'm not gonna do that. But God has given you a weapon of your warfare and it's praise so that you can bring liberty to the captive, so you can set people free. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're mighty in God for the pulling down of every stronghold. Did you guys know that when you lift Jesus up, the thing that's in that high place has to come down? So when I look at this city, I don't see, I don't see exalted strongholds the way that some people see exalted strongholds because I know the one that's higher the one that's more exalted, above the earth, above the heavens actually, whose feet are actually, his, whose feet are just resting on the footstool of the earth. That's the biblical picture. And, and the Bible says that it'll be that way until God brings everybody under his feet, until his kingdom becomes the kingdom of our, amen? So when you, in your life, in your own atmosphere, let's just start with your home in your own home, go about exalting Jesus, guess what? Any high thing, any lofty opinion or imagination, what does the Bible say? It says we pull down imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of Christ. We do this through praise. We do this worship. You don't have to have a voice to do this. You may have a voice that only Jesus loves. Your praise is bigger than that. If you, if you look at the Old Testament and you read the stories of the way people praised, it was it was exotic. It was crazy. It was wild. They shouted. Ah! They marched. They let out shouts. We went through that seven words of Hebrew praise. Remember that series? Go back and, and, 
and look at that. Yeah, they danced. They bowed. They shouted. They played their instrument. They, they, they got crazy before God. <laughs> I think we're only tapping into the surface of what is available to us. And I would say this to you before we move on to the next point. Your praise is powerful, and it's a weapon that God wants you to wield. For many of us, we're not wielding that weapon because we're caught up with other things. And we've got other stuff that we're attending to. And I just believe in this season, God has been resetting and refocusing and renewing so that he can restore the right understanding of how we're supposed to wield these weapons in this valley, not to come against people. Come on, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against darkness. It's against principalities. It's against the rulers in heavenly places that have tried that have, that, have, that have been violation, <laughs> that have been acting out because we have permitted it, because we have allowed it, because we have sat back and made excuses. God doesn't need you to go out and save the world. He just wants you to start in your, in your family. He doesn't need you to go out and, and establish this big ministry and do all that. He just wants you to start right where you're at with your family, with your bedroom, with your home. Is your home a place of praise? Is your car your travel vehicle, your horse, whatever it is that you use to get to work. Is it a place of praise? Because here's what God promises. He promises to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. And I believe it's going to happen through our praise, through our worship. He goes on to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to me that in, in a time and a season where people are worried about shutdowns and recessions and scalebacks and all these other things that favor would be on the list. But here it is. In the midst of everything that we're experiencing and seeing, God has favor for us. Favor is just another word for grace, mind you. God has grace for us to walk in. Jesus is here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and grace and the day of vengeance of our God. Jonathan, people that did you dirty, God's going to take care of them. And woe to him who gets in God's way. But guess what? It says it right here. He's going to do it. The day of vengeance of our God. God is the one who, 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 who avenges. He's our avenger. Right? We don't need Iron Man. We don't need Captain America. We don't need Spider-Man and Ant-Man. Come on, we don't need all that. We've got the original avenger right here. And his name is Yahweh. And he says, on the backbone of that, on the backbone, because here, I don't want us to miss this in, in light of my joke, but on the backbone of saying God is the one who brings vengeance, see, we thirst for justice. We thirst for righteousness as a people. What we've seen this last year is people crying out for things to be made right because they're not it's not that it's about Black Lives Matter. It's not that it's about people finding equity and equality and a perfect utopia. It's about the inner longing of the soul saying, things aren't right in me. Things aren't right in, around me. And who's going to come and make this right? Who's going to redeem? Who's going to bring justice? And the Bible tells us who. It's God who brings vengeance. It's God who is our justice. It is God who puts the world to rights. It's his promise to do these things. And anything else is a counterfeit and a cheap substitute. Anything else 
is just a cheap imitation of the real thing. But hear this, in the heart of every person is the longing for that. That's why when you're hurt, it hurts. That's why when your spouse or someone you love wounds you, it hurts. Some of you have, have had people break your heart and walk out on you and you've experienced that and there's that desire for vengeance. Like, oh, get them, God. Ah. Right, Jan? Come on. God will repay, the Bible says. He is the one that takes care of it. We have to believe that. We have to know that. We have to be committed to that. Because here's why. Hurt people hurt people. And when we have a desire to see that person's face rubbed in the mud, Jonathan, the truth is, the truth is, see, I know a lot of, your, I know a lot of what's going on in all your life, so I'm just, just choosing the low-hanging fruit here. <laughs> but the truth is this. That person who hurts you is hurting. He's hurting. Now, he may not know it. They may not know it, but they're hurting. And, and here's why. God, right after he says that, that God's going to bring vengeance, he's also going to comfort those who mourn. Look at the, It's in the same verse, guys. It's not even a separate verse. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We love that part. Yes, Lord, give us favor. To declare the day of vengeance. Yes, Lord, bring justice. Make things right. But to comfort those who mourn. And I think there is a mourning right now that's taking place within the lives of people and, and within our culture. For some of you that are a little bit older than us, there's a mourning of, oh, when you see people giving up things that were fought for and things that were good in return for things that have no worth, there's a grieving, there's a, there's a mourning. It's like when I look at people on Facebook and I see the, the vitriol and the anger, and all that, what, I, what I see is people that are in mourning. People that are, that are disturbed, some of them because they've been hurt, some of them because they're, they're seeing the, the system, the world, move in a direction that God said it was going to move, and there's nothing they can do about it. But God wants to do something about it. He says, I will comfort those who mourn. To mourn means to grieve, and to grieve means that there has to be lost. It means there's something of worth that was lost or or taken, or, or killed, or fill in the blank. There, there's a sense of, God, oh, it hurts. When you lose your parents, or you lose your grandma, or you lose a loved one, or a friend, it's like, oh, it hurts. Because it's real. God doesn't dismiss it. That's kind of what I've been trying to get to. And it would be easy for us to just look at the world, and look at our nation, and look at our culture, and just be dismissive. But I really believe God wants us to look with eyes, with, with the eyes of heaven, with the eyes of the spirit, to see people who are grieving, and who are mourning, and who are hurting. Some because they've been hurt, and some because they are hurting, and then hurting others out of that hurt. God wants to bring comfort to all who mourn, and to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. This is where we get the beauty from ashes. Headdress, um, for those of you that don't know, is something they actually that women used to wear back in the day. I don't know if they, they wore it like 50 to 7,500 years ago, but I know that like thousands of years ago, it was not uncommon to see women that wore headdresses. 
Um, what can I relate this to? It's like a, like a bride on her wedding day. She has a headdress sometimes. It's kind of connected to the veil. Yeah, does that make sense? It's, it's, yeah, there, there are some, there are some expressions of the church that you can actually go and experience. You guys went to it in Oregon and there was women that, that wore headdresses, right? It was coverings. Yeah. It's basically a covering, but see the world takes it and distorts it and makes it something that drowns out beauty. God actually has something that's beautiful. And so he's saying here that those who mourn are going to be given this beautiful headdress, this beautiful covering instead of ashes. See, a lot of times um, we, we don't understand this because back in this culture, in the ancient Near East, when people would mourn, they would cover themselves with ashes. Actually, we see this in Native American culture. When, when Native Americans or Indians would have somebody die, they would sometimes cover themselves in ashes. Catholics do. Yeah, there's, there are a lot of traditions that do this. The idea is that when you're in mourning, you're covered in the ash. You're covered in the death of that person or that thing. Uh, some of you who've had loved ones that you know are friends cremated, sometimes people will take the ashes and do all kinds of interesting things. Side note, I, was, I found out that Disneyland is one of the number one places where people actually spread their ashes. Did you guys know that? Yeah, so if you are on, on the Pirates of the Caribbean next time, just look around you to make sure you're not sitting on grandpa or grandma. <laughs> Apparently, it's, it's gotten so bad, not as of like this last year because of COVID, but before COVID, it was so bad that they had people that they hired just to track these people down because it was happening thousands of times throughout the day. People would smuggle in ashes in their purse and in bags and then throw them out on Pirates of the Caribbean or on Dumbo or <laughs> Splash Mountain or whatever. Could you imagine like, ah! and you're like sitting in the back like, <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not, Google this. It's a real thing, guys. People do this. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. So anyways, that was, that was an aside. But the idea is that when you're covered in ash, when you're covered in death, when you're covered in mourning, when you're covered in loss, when you feel like you've lost everything and 2020 was the worst year possible, and maybe 2021 gets worse, and maybe you, you come in thinking, it can't get any worse. Guess what? God has a beautiful headdress. He has a beautiful covering for you. He has something he wants to cover you with, and it's beautiful. And he goes on to say, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. He's going to give you gladness. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And here's why. That they may be, that we may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. You see, God is planting this church. As much as I say we are planting, we are, but he's doing it through us and he's planting us and he's solidifying us and he's allowing our roots to grow down deep so that we don't just come in and blow up and blow out. And some of you guys have been here long enough to see some churches that have done that and people that have been caught up in that. That they may be called oaks. An oak is strong. I don't know if any of you have gone out into the woods but one of my favorite things I used to get to do when I was a young man was go spend time with my grandma and grandpa who lived up in Northern California, and they would take me up into the Redwoods. Anybody ever been there? Aren't those just the most majestic trees? I could literally spend a day just sitting under the shade and just feeling like the peace of God. And I did, and I'd just sit there, and sometimes they had like, it was hollowed out a little bit. You could actually go inside and sit down. And these are trees that have been growing for like, what, hundreds of years? But the idea and the picture, guys, is that you're strong, you're rooted, 
You're solid. You're not flimsy. You're not going to break. You're not going to fall over. That's what God wants. And here's why. That he may be glorified. And so I'm going to end there tonight. But I want to say this. I believe all those things are the purpose of God for his people. That we'd be a people of good news. That bring good news to the poor. That bind up the brokenhearted. Come on, that make the the weak strong. That reach people that are in prison and set them free. And God wants that to start in us. So that what happens here doesn't stay here. But goes out and makes a difference. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you, Lord, for your... Well, thank you for the audible tonight. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the affirmation that only comes from you, Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray that you'd have your way among us, Lord, because we, uh, we said that we were going to be a spirit-empowered, spirit-driven church, which means sometimes we got to be willing to go with the flow and to take a left turn when we wanted to take a right, but to follow you, Jesus, because that's what we're called to do, to be courageous followers of Jesus. So God, I just pray that tonight, and I know there was a lot there, but I just pray that you would solidify your word and that you would beautify your people. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.